your Bibles, um, we are in uh, the last of the book of Daniel. Um, today we'll be looking at the very last part of chapter 11. We didn't quite get a chance to talk about uh, last week. And then um, focus uh, most of our attention this morning on chapter 12. So just a reminder, um, the second half of, of the book of Daniel largely consists of a series of Daniel's apocalyptic visions. And this final vision um, has been going since chapter 10, and it runs through chapter 12. So the last uh, three chapters of the book focus on uh, uh, Daniel's um, final vision. Um, chapter 10 uh, was kind of a prologue. It gave us the circumstances and context for the overall uh, vision. Uh, when Daniel received the vision, and it came amidst, uh, we saw in chapter 10, um, Daniel's prolonged period of praying and fasting uh, during the third year of Cyrus. And this was a period in which um, those who had returned to Jerusalem uh, were not in great circumstances. Work on the temple had um, come to a, a halt, and uh, the people of God were experiencing opposition um, to their work of rebuilding uh, Jerusalem. So God responded uh, to Daniel's fasting and prayer by communicating uh, with him through the appearance of a man clothed in linen who conveyed a sense of omnipotence and the all-gloriousness of God. Uh, this figure had been sent to Daniel in response to his prayers in order to give him insight and understanding to the spiritual dimensions behind earthly conflicts. So last week, uh, we focused on chapter 11, uh, or we began chapter 11, which is the substance of the vision. So chapter 10 is the context. Uh, chapter 11 is most of the substance of the vision in which God revealed to Daniel the future political history of the Near East, and particularly focusing on the effects of rulers um, who were, as we saw with these kingdoms of the north and south, uh, literally sandwiched uh, the people of God uh, in the glorious land. So the vision moves from a broad picture of forthcoming events towards a focus on a specific time period of difficulty for the inhabitants of the glorious land. So um, we saw how uh, the kingdoms of this world are portrayed as in a uh, perpetual state of conflict as we see this pattern through these kingdoms of the north and south engaged in intrigue and hostility uh, with one another, sometimes breaking, breaking out into open warfare, sometimes through um, uh, political machinations. Um, uh, and, and we saw like that, that's such a good um, represent, representation of the kingdoms of this world. Um, evil is always unstable because it's rooted in following its own will instead of God's will. Um, and then we talked about last week, while the prophecy focused on specific historic moments in Israel's future, its primary purpose was to encourage the people of God in all times and places to live faithful, uncompromising lives, even in the midst of horrendous persecution. And we uh, spent some time working out how uh, the people's response, it's those who know their God who will be strong and take action. Faith in God's sovereign power is the foundation and basis for all our hope and all our activity for God. 
and we saw how the people of God were called to resist faithfully even unto death, uh, reminding us that sometimes obedience to God will mean a lifetime of faithfulness in a faithless environment. We're called to teach those around us, and we're called to pray. Uh, the victory in this conflict is not won by the wise amongst God's people overcoming the evil uh, through their own strength. Rather, victory comes when the heavenly hosts rise up to deliver the saints um, in, uh, who have been serving God faithfully. So today we'll continue um, to examine this final vision as God presents to Daniel um, the reasons to hope and trust um, in these, amidst these future things. So let me uh, open us in prayer and then we'll read God's word. Let's pray. Gracious God, on a cold morning, uh, we come into your presence to, um, to feel the warmth of your glory, uh, to see uh, your sovereign power and your perfect rule over all things, how you are the God uh, not just of the past and the present, but the God who holds the future in your hands. And it's uh, to you that we come uh, in hope in expectation of your glory uh, coming and being fully revealed. Lord, we ask that you would um, give us uh, strength to endure, to persevere, and to look uh, to the day of the glorious resurrection and coming of our Savior Jesus Christ and that uh, moment where he will uh, judge and divide, uh, that he comes uh, with a sword uh, both to save but also to condemn, and we uh, throw ourselves on your mercy uh, and look to your salvation on that day. Lord, uh, we confess, like uh, Daniel um, confesses uh, multiple times uh, in this book, that uh, so often we lack understanding, that we look at the world around us and um, we're confused, and we don't uh, know how to make sense of these things. But you call us to look to you and to trust in you and to exercise faith and hope in this glorious future that you've revealed to your saints and that you will bring about in your perfect time. That though the days may seem long and we cry out, how long, O Lord, uh, they are numbered to you and finite and you are bringing them swiftly to an end. And so we do pray, come Lord Jesus, come this day and teach us by your Holy Spirit, instruct our hearts and our wills, uh, help us to uh, live lives of faithful uh, trust and perseverance, um, holding fast to our confession and looking to uh, the day of your glory. We ask these things in Christ's name, by the power of your spirit, amen. Okay, so uh, last week um, we, we read the whole chapter, but we really only um, got up through about um, verse 35, talking about um, uh, the time of Antiochus Epiphanes and um, his um, uh, persecution of the people of God and indeed setting himself in opposition to God and seeking to destroy God's people. Um, so I'm going to start in, in verse 36, and, and just to give you, uh, our first question will be whether the verses 
um, starting in, in chapter 11, 36 to the end of the chapter, are a continuation of the, describing the rule of Antiochus, or if it's um, using Antiochus as a uh, foreshadowing of some other king, um, and we can, that'll probably be our first question. Um, so, uh, hear the word of the Lord, uh, starting in Daniel chapter 11, uh, beginning in verse 36. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what he decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the god of his fathers, or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these. A god whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over many and shall divide the land for a price. At the time of the end, the king of the south shall attack him, but the king of the north shall rush upon him like a whirlwind with chariots and horsemen and with many ships. And he shall come into countries and shall overflow and pass through. He shall come into the glorious lands and tens of thousands shall fall, but these shall be delivered out of his hand. Edom and Moab and the main part of the Ammonites he shall stretch out his hand against the countries, and the land of Egypt shall not escape. He shall become ruler of the treasures of gold and silver, and all the precious things of Egypt, and the Libyans and the Cushites shall follow in his train. But news from the east and the north shall alarm him, and he shall go out with great fury to destroy and devote many to destruction. And he shall pitch his palatial tents between the sea and the glorious holy mountain, yet he shall come to his end with none to help him. At that time shall rise Michael, the great prince, who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since, since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream, and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the end of time. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. 
and from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Thus far, the word of our God. Uh, may he increase it as we talk of it this morning. Okay, so last week, again, we talked about um, verses 20 to 35, particularly reflected uh, the rule of the Seleucid king Antiochus Epiphanes, um, who ruled over Israel um, uh, and committed that abomination of burning, um, sacrificing a pig in the temple of God and, and setting up an idol to Zeus um, in that holy of holies. Um, and those details are really clearly reflected. Um, where people uh, in, have questions are the, um, starting in verse 36 to the end of the chapter, um, the details in the latter half of the chapter don't fit Antiochus um, as well. So um, are, are these verses referring to him or a different king at a different historical moment? Um, and maybe the way to figure this out, as we think of this final king described in uh, Daniel 11, what are some of the main features that that king possesses? So how, how in the last part of Daniel chapter 11 is this king described? What are some of his distinguishing traits? Yeah, Tim. Okay, so a couple things there. One, um, this uh, you know um, quest for a autonomy. He'll do as he wills, and uh, this has been a big feature <laughs> throughout the book of Daniel. I mean, think back of uh, how many times have we seen whether it was Nebuchadnezzar or or some other kingdom that's prophesied uh, referred to um, you know seeking to to um, rule absolutely, um, to rule as if he's completely independent of God or any other authority over him. So this king epitomizes that with this, he does as he wills. So that, that quest for um, autonomy and self-glorification. And then the second thing that, that Tim raised is um, the inherent blasphemy in this, that he's not just setting himself up as superior to other men, that he's setting himself up um, superior to other gods. Um, he shall exalt himself, magnify himself above every god, and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. And so that astonishing things there, like he, he will say truly blasphemous, horrible things about God that you know, we would be astonished to hear. So um, self-glorification quest for autonomy, um, blasphemy. Uh, and again, we've seen this, um, you know, think of that episode with Nebuchadnezzar um, uh, um, confronting uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What God shall deliver you from my hands? Um, like, um, so this has been a characteristic uh, we've seen in kings throughout the book. And 
this final king described in Daniel 11 um, has these traits we've seen already, but um, at their highest degree. Good. What else strikes you about this final king described in Daniel 11? So he um, seeks autonomy, or absolute autonomy, um, sets himself up as a god, blaspheming the god. Yeah, so he's rejecting the gods of his fathers and instead trusting in this other god. Um, and one of the ways um, this other god, he shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these. And um, a lot of, the way a lot of um, people understand god of fortresses is he, he'll, he trusts in military might. I mean, we could say it's, this is a, a doctrine of might makes right. So like he, he trusts that kind of exercise of power over help from other deities. Um, and that's the kind of, rather than building sanctuaries to, to, to the gods, he um, trusts and magnifies power. Um, so it's uh, that might makes right attitude. Um, Yeah, that it's, it's not, you know, appointing rulers based on their wisdom and ability to rule well over the land, but who can pay? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll, I'll surrender some of my power. I will give you, uh, you know, some of my um, kingdom to rule over, but, you know, what do I get in return? So, um, yeah, that it's, uh, and we, we saw this some last week with Antiochus, like, or, or with the kingdoms of the north and south in general, like I think it was Tim last week who said, there's absolutely zero concern for the welfare and well-being of the people who inhabit these lands. Um, it's all about um, amassing power and wealth for the sake of the kingdom, not for the sake of the people who are being ruled. Um, so um, this, um, yeah, this, so he's, conquering and conquest, and uh, he's um, uh, interested in aggrandizing his own wealth and power. Good. Other things that um, we're told about this king? So that's the question. So who is being referred to in the last, in this kind of final 
um, description in verses 40 through 45. And this is the part, like you could say verses um, 36 through 39, like that um, those do reflect characteristic traits of Antiochus, but the, the events of verses 40 to 45 don't reflect, like, um, you know, this kind of the battles being described, the, the movements that are being described don't fit Antiochus. So that becomes the question. If it's not Antiochus, who does it refer to? Um, and there are lots of options. One option is this is a description of the Antichrist. Um, so using Antiochus, again, as a foreshadowing or, or archetype of the quality kind of qualities that the Antichrist possesses. Um, other people have said it's the Romans. Um, so we're, again, into a description of the Roman conquest of the Mediterranean world. Um, and, and this is describing, just like we saw earlier, um, you know, a, a description of um, the, the, the time of Christ. And so he's, he's taking history up to this climactic moment when the Messiah comes and the temple is destroyed. And that's the time of the conquest of the Roman Empire. That's actually how Calvin understands it. He sees it as the Romans. Other people have suggested um, it's a reference to um, Muhammad and Islam. And other people have said it refers to um, uh, the papacy. So who exactly um, it, this is is a matter of debate. but. Um, but it, so whether it's the Antichrist or an Antichrist, um, you know, somebody's figure setting himself in opposition to, to Christ. I mean, I think we can definitely say it's an Antichrist. Um, whether it's the Antichrist, again, there's a lot of debate on that. Yeah, so as we move into chapter 12, it definitely seems like this is the climax of human history and that this is the Antichrist um, bringing things to their final end. Yeah, Brian. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and again, that's how Calvin unders, like, this is, we've moved on into a description of the Roman Empire, which isn't, you know, where the, the, it's personified in the person of the emperor, which has multiple manifestations through specific emperors, but um, that, yeah, that king um, is used as a shorthand for kingdoms. And he has, I mean, just as we saw earlier in the book, in a short span of time, he lays out or the vision lays out, hundreds of years of, of history. You know, we're going long after the events of Daniel's time, a series of kings moving from the, the um, Persian Empire that he's under now, that's going to be supplanted by the Greek, that's going to be broken up into these divisions, and that there's these succession of kings. And as you say, the, the, it, it is a reference to... Um, 
how the kings of um, of these empires and how you know the traits of opposition to the kingdom of God manifests itself. Like, what are the qualities of the kingdoms of this world? Self-autonomy, might makes right, um, blasphemous, seeking to destroy the people of God. This is the kingdom of the kingdom of the world that is always seeking to destroy the kingdom of God. Yeah, which is why Calvin. <laughs> yep, uh, I agree. I'm, I, Calvin has a 45-page description of this why, argument, why it's the Romans. And after sitting in my bed last night reading all 45 pages of it, uh, I came out fairly convinced. <laughs> um, but I just want you to know like, that there, there are other ways other people have interpreted. Um, and so we just need to pause and think about these things. Uh, and not, as one person said, just because, um, uh, just because somebody says something demonstratively doesn't make it true. <laughs> um, we have to, you know, uh, look and see and ask these things. Um, um, all right. Anything else we want to say about before we kind of switch in um, to go to what uh, want to kind of build on what Bill said as we get into chapter twelve. Um, we get at that time, um, the time of the, uh, the end, um, there shall arise Michael. Um, so um, what are the characteristics or um, events associated with this time um, at that time, the time that Michael arises? Yeah, a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till now. So um, not just distress, but enormous distress. Other things? So we got um, time of great trouble. And I'm basically swaying back and forth because I'm cold. <laughs> Trying to keep, you know, blood flowing to the extremities. Um, it's not that I'm antsy. <laughs> or have to go to the bathroom. Yeah, that enormous distress, such as never been seen before, and yet, in the midst of that, um, God's people are delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book of life. So, uh, so you have this great distress, but complete deliverance of the people of God in the midst of it. Um, and this idea, that's, um, as you look um, at, at, at Michael, um, so Michael shows up. Um, in the book, not just in the book of Daniel, but twice in the New Testament, uh, both in Jude and then in Revelation. And, and Michael is presented as the, um, 
the warring angel, um, the angel who wages war against um, Satan, um, who contends with Satan for the sake of the people of God. So he's, um, his task really is to bring deliverance to those whose names are written in the book of life, as you see him described uh, both in the book of Daniel, but then in Jude and in the book of Revelation. Um, so, so a time of great distress, but a time in which God's people are delivered. Of, of, yeah, so, yeah, that, um, this eschatological moment is a way to think of it. Um, a time of distress, God's people are delivered, and resurrection. You know, those who, um, those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Um, so we, he's, he's, again, now has shifted to the end. Um, so we've had this long description of history, and now we've moved to the end of history um, with the, the judgment of humanity. Yeah, and this is one of the most dramatic um, descriptions of the hope of resurrection in the Old Testament. Like, this is the, you know, yeah. You, you, it's hard to get more direct and clear a description of resurrection from the dead than you get in Daniel 12. Um, and it does come like, <laughs> like we read it, this side of the cross, <laughs> um, and it, it, it makes sense to us uh, because that is the glory in which we hope um, that you know, we see ourselves in these last days, you know, the now and the not yet. Like Christ has come and has established his kingdom and reigns now, but we're still um, waiting for the final consummation. So it's both the now and not yet. Um, and so we get it because we're, we're in that now. We, we believe we've seen resurrection. Um, we've seen a body come out of the grave after three days. Um, and our hope is that in our bodies, and as Paul works out in that glorious passage uh, at the end of, of Corinthians, uh, or toward the end of Corinthians, you know, our hope in, in, in our hope is based on Christ's resurrection. And you know, if Christ's not raised, then what hope do we have? Um, and so, but we believe He's raised, and therefore our hope is in this moment, this glorious moment of God calling His people um, from death into life. Um,
Well, he, he says, I heard, I did not understand. So. <laughs> um, but to go to, to the, the thing you've really put your finger on is the dividing line that's created um, here. That, uh, and it's, it's a dividing line that, as you say, has been consistent throughout the book of Daniel. This, this contrast between the wicked and those who are, are wise, who exercise trust in God, the faithful. Um, you know, and, and it, it is this stark divide um, that there is no, you know, on the fence category. Um, you know, it's not the wise, the wicked, and everybody else. It's like, you know, that, um, uh, uh, that, that Christ has come um, and he has come and created this division between those who believe in him and those who stubbornly refuse and persist in their wickedness and, and their hearts are hardened against him and they go on in their wickedness. Um, and that's contrasted with those who are wise, who shine like the brightness of the sky above and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So he's holding forward this, this, the glory um, of, of, of those who continue to persevere and, and trust and, and exercise wisdom through their faith in, in God uh, against those who persist in their wickedness, who refuse to turn from their wicked ways. Um, Again, to sort of think, um, to think uh, of someone like um, Nebuchadnezzar, like we saw that contrast earlier in the book. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar ends up being wise because why? He turns his face to heaven <laughs> and acknowledges the sovereign God. Um, uh, Belteshazzar, not so much. <laughs> You know, he persists in his wick. He hears Daniel and says, well, thanks a lot. And, you know, uh, there is no um, repentance um, there. There is no um, turning. Um, and so, you know, he sets his face toward wickedness and continues to act wickedly and is, is destroyed. Um, and that's the contrast we've been given throughout this book between the wicked kingdom of this world that sets itself in opposition to God and can, seeks to destroy it, and the kingdom of God, those who are trusting and persevering in faith and looking forward in hope um, of this expectant glory. Um, and and the, the context of the decision, again, we're still in that chapter 10 context as we're reminded of at the end of chapter 12. We're by this river where Daniel has been. You know, he's still in the land of captivity, the people of God aren't doing well. Um, and it, in the middle of that kind of discouraging set of circumstances, God is giving him this beautiful picture of this glorious hope that's not going to come. You know, Daniel will be dead, you know, and it's clear. You, you will go your way till the end and you shall rest. Um, you're going to be one of those lying in the dust of the earth. And yet, there you will be part of this glorious kingdom. You're not going to miss it. <laughs> it's not going to pass you by. Um, you will see God's kingdom and its glory, and, and you will reflect the glory of your Savior in that moment.
you will be one of those who shines like this. Yeah, Victor. Absolutely. And again, it's the, the idea that his brightness is being established um, even as um, the, the, the wicked are brought to um, shame and everlasting contempt. Like, you know, these aren't two separate moments, two separate actions. They're the one moment. His, the glory of his deliverance is, is demonstrated by the, the judgment that he's giving. And for for us, as you say, the glory of the church is exhibited at these dark moments. And that's the message of Daniel. Like, think back to chapter 1. Like, you know, chapter 1 starts with this, you know, um, Jerusalem's captured, um, the princes of Jerusalem are dragged off into captivity, along with things from the temple of God. Like, how dark and devastating a moment is that? And yet, in the middle of that, you know, these guys who are dragged to Jerusalem, this could be the moment in which they'd be like, yeah, you know, maybe our God wasn't all that he was cracked up to be. Uh, maybe we should, um, you know, uh, go along and get whatever position of power or authority we can get in the kingdom of Babylon. And no, from the beginning, in small things, they choose faithfulness. Um, they choose to stand for the kingdom of God rather than trust in the kingdom of Babylon. So they do it in small things, and then they do it in these you know, big ways, like with those three standing before Nebuchadnezzar and saying, our God can deliver us from the fiery furnace, but even if he, he does, chooses not to, we're not bowing the knee to you <laughs> or the idol you've set up. So in the darkness of that moment, like God uh, makes his glory appear um, with those guys in, in the furnace, like you know, this clear demonstration of who he is set against the darkness of the kingdom of the world. And that's what, as we think about the book of Daniel overall, that, that's what it's encouraging, encouraging us to live. Like he's in captivity. Um, the people of God are you know, in the lowest moment in the history of Israel, dragged off into captivity, the glory of the temple, the glory of the city of God destroyed, and yet they're, they're called and exercise faithfulness in the midst of that. And through that, God is showing his faithfulness and the glory of this kingdom that he's establishing that isn't like the glory of the kingdoms of this world.
Yeah, and that's the um, application so often of apocalyptic literature. Like, uh, we often think like it's laying out some roadmap for the future, but it, apocalyptic literature, the point is how we are to live now um, and to not compromise our faith, not to um, weaken it, not to um, be um, persuaded or led astray by the kingdoms of the world, but to exercise perseverance and trust in a kingdom um, that's far beyond the kingdoms of this world. Um, and so if we believe that, that equips us to act in uncompromised in small things as well as in the big things. Um, okay, uh, the last part uh, of the book, um, basically um, we could kind of see um, it organized by two questions. Um, so one question is asked uh, by one of these guys standing by the stream. How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And then the second is, is Daniel's question. Um, oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? So these are the questions that are asked. Uh, what are the answers we're given? So we could boil it down. One is how long? <laughs> um, and then the other is... Um, you know, what shall be the outcome? So how, how are these questions answered, or are they answered? Okay, so the, we, we get, you know, how long, uh, and we get this, and we've seen this earlier in the book of Daniel, a time, times, and half a time. Um, so that can mean... Um, uh, could be a way of expressing three and a half. So a time, times, half a time. So one plus two plus a half is three and a half. Um, so some people interpret it as three and a half. The other way to think of it is, and, and we saw this, it's a cutting off, like the emphasis, and even three and a half, three and a half is half of seven. Seven's the perfect number. So, you know, we don't get to seven at three and a half, it cuts it off. And so, um, this emphasizes God's sovereignty, um, you know, cutting time uh, off at a particular period. Um, by his own power, God is able to cut off these things at the appointed time, um, in his time. So not in, um, not in the time we might expect it, but in his uh, sovereign timing. So it's not precise answer to the question how long. <laughs> it's kind of like, well, you know, when I cut it off <laughs> at the right moment. Um, so, uh, yeah, the point is to emphasize that God's sovereign um, over the timing of these things. 
Good. What else? Or how else are these questions? How long? And what's the outcome? So we get one answer is time, times, and half times. Yeah, so twice in this, you know, we have this um, sealing up, shutting up the word, sealing the book. I mean, again, it, that's not, um, uh, at this time, that's not saying keep it secret. It's, it's keep it safe um, to, um, you know, to, to seal something is to, to um, uh, you know, preserve it, to, to give it its, um, you know, the sign that this thing is authentic. Um, so it's that kind of, um, so it's not keep it quiet, um, but keep it to its right moment. Make sure you hang on to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what do we, that does not sound good. Um, but, yeah, what do we what do we make of the shattering of the power of the holy people? It's not who we expect to be shattered. <laughs> I mean, earlier we saw, uh, you know, we we liked it when this king he shall come to his end with none to help him. We like that kind of shattering, um, uh, shattering of the power of the holy people. Yeah, we've seen this in Daniel, kind of like you have to bring people to an end of trusting in their own righteousness, their own resources, their own power, uh, in order to get them to trust in the power that's eternal. So that's one way people have read it. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and again, like, it's bringing the, the power of the people, like, yeah, is, is crushed at that moment. Um, the temple is gone. It's never been rebuilt. Um, Yep. 
<laughs> and it's and I I think that is you know why this like to to think like you know the destroying of the temple is a good thing um, you know it's it's destroying the thing you know the things and earth that we put our trust in and I I when I see this kind of like um, bringing people to an end of the power. Um, uh, or, or their own power. I think of uh, Paul in Philippians, where he, you know, he gives that pedigree. You know, I was born a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day. You know, as to the law, a Pharisee, <laughs> um, or zeal to the law, a Pharisee. Um, and and what's his attitude for those things? That stuff's rubbish. <laughs> Uh, compared to the surpassing power of Jesus Christ, that stuff uh, is is meaningless. Um, and so, um, so as we look at this again, it's it's part of this book. Um, purpose is to teach us to to not live by sight, but to live in the hope of this future glory. Because um, when you live by sight, you know you're riding this kind of roller coaster of reading the newspaper and freaking out every day and this kingdom rises this kingdom falls and what does it all mean where's it all go? we know where it's going <laughs> we shouldn't be surprised by wars and rumors of wars and or disturbed or thrown off you know we're to to live uncompromising lives of faith in this world because we have hope of this future glory do we know the exact moment it's coming no but it's coming soon. We are in the last days. Um, and the last days to us might seem like they're running on long, but in, in, in God's um, perspective on time, they're but a you know, nanosecond. Um, and that's how we are to live in this daily expectation of the coming glory of, of God and the coming and establishing of his kingdom. Sure. Um, which, so many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. So it's this idea of, um, you know, what separates the wicked from the wise, um, is, is knowledge of, of Christ, you know? The wicked will, they don't, you know, to them, Christ is foolishness. Um, you know, it's that kind of idea that Paul, like, to the, to the world, the things of Christ and of his church are foolishness. But to those who believe, it's wisdom. Um, and it's that kind of, uh, as this chapter, you know, we, we talked about, it, it's creating a, a dividing line. Um, and, and what's the dividing line? The dividing line is between the wise and the wicked. And what constitutes wisdom? Wisdom consists, or the beginning of wisdom is, is trust in God. <laughs> you know, that is the beginning of wisdom. Um,
position, that not the money was supposed to be smartest, that not the rich man was supposed to be richest, but less in control, supposed to live. But he understands and knows me. But I am the one who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the world. Working these things out of the righteousness of the world. Here's this idea that if you have, as long as you have your strength and your wisdom and your riches to look at and trust it, it really is hard to trust in the Lord, especially if you've been living as, as Israel had been, which was they prospered and they weren't secure financially, secure in their judgments, and they weren't looking to the Lord. They had cast their Israelites on all other kinds of gods. And so it, it seems so counterintuitive that it's a good thing if the temple was destroyed. Say that if you were to say that to somebody outside of this context, they would think you're a horrible person. But it's it's God showing that each and every one of those disciples had all the problems. Yeah, and how like it's teaching us how not to live like the kingdom of this world and like those traits we identified of this you know antichrist figure, uh, quest for self autonomy, self glorification. Um, what's how are we to live? Humility. <laughs> Rather than blasphemy, you know, giving glory to God. Like, so it's, you know, by this contrast, it's showing us how we are to live. And it, you know, we see it, um, I remember in my, our Bible study when we did Matthew, like, it's who are the people who get turned away and leave Jesus sad throughout the book or who Jesus reacts negatively to, it's the people who stubbornly refuse to acknowledge their need of him. People who think they're self-sufficient, self-righteous, uh, autonomous, rather than seeing themselves as um, humiliated and in great need of a savior. Yeah, that quest for power, that seeking to make oneself first, you know, who, you know, what, what constitutes a leader in, in the world context, it's the powerful person. In the context of the kingdom of God, it's the least. <laughs> it's the one who wants to make himself last. That's who um, is first. That, that power comes not, um, not through the means of the world, but comes through sacrifice on a cross. Um, all right, well, we're at um, our, our time, so let me close this in prayer. Gracious God, we do thank you for your kingdom and how you have shown us through the book of Daniel that it is superior to all the kingdoms uh, of this world that rise and fall and uh, war with one another. Um, but you've established your kingdom by a different means through a different king. Um, and we pray that um, our names uh, would be uh, counted with those in the book of life, that we would be counted among the wise, 
not because we possess uh, wisdom in ourselves, but because we um, are wise in seeing our complete um, dependence and need on you, that the spirit that you've implanted in us has given us eyes to see and ears to hear and wills to do. And we pray that um, you would um, help us to, to live our daily lives in um, the light and truth of your coming kingdom, to not uh, count the things of this world, um, but to count uh, the, the eternal things and to put our hope and our trust in these and help us to seek uh, the hope of your glory. And we uh, ask that you would help us uh, rejoice in that glory even as we worship you in the coming hour. And we pray this in Christ's name by the power of your spirit. Amen.